Welcome to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Dan Roth. Amen. Well, tonight, get your Bibles out and go with me. Uh, first of all, the First Peter chapter number one. First Peter chapter number one. We're going to launch from there, and then we'll be bouncing around a little bit. First Peter chapter number one. Tonight, I want to talk to you about a subject called Holy Living 101. There is a way that God wants us to live, and that way that God wants us to live is he wants us to live holy. We're going to see this in the Bible in 1 Peter chapter number 1, in verse number 14 through verse number 16. Take a look at what it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 14. It says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lusts, as in your ignorance. So God says, you used to do this stuff, but you didn't know any better. You were sinful. You were living according to your own desires, your own lusts. But verse 15 comes along and says, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So when you became born again, when you gave your heart and life to Jesus, you changed the way that you lived your life, your conduct, the way that you conducted yourself. You no longer live just according to the ways of your lusts or your desires, but now you're obedient children living the way that God wants you to live, and that's by being holy. Verse 16, because it is written, be holy, for I am. I'm holy. Jesus quoted this. He said it a little bit differently. He said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. In the Old Testament, you'll find it several times. Be holy, for I am holy, God says. All throughout the Bible, it's a theme that runs through the Bible that God wants us to be holy. And just like we learn in classes, you know, the basics, some things that are usually when you go to college, that sort of a thing, you know, you've got like Algebra 101, then you get the 102, the 103. Tonight, I want to give you a, like a broad overview. I want to give you a holiness 101, kind of a crash course in what it means to be holy and how that looks in our lives. First of all, we need to define what holiness is. To be holy means to be exclusively his. Now, that may sound a little bit weird. You might be thinking exclusively his. Well, notice I capitalized the word his, capital H there, meaning God's, that we are exclusive to God. When you said yes to Jesus, you said no to everybody else. In other words, I'm exclusively God's. He's my father. I'm his child. You know, the the Bible speaks of Jesus as the groomsman. He's the husband, and we are the bride of Christ. You know, when I got married, I said no to every other woman on the planet other than my Jessica. And guess what else? She said no to every other man on the planet, thank God, than, than me, right? And so now we're exclusive, just us, no more, right? And the Bible tells us that if there's someone else jumping in that marriage bed, we've got problems that is unholy, See, the same way with God and me, there's no one getting in the way of my relationship with God. I am exclusively God's, and guess what else? God is exclusively mine. He's available to me. He's my God, personally. Jesus is not ashamed to call me his brother. He's mine. He's given me his spirit as a seal, as a guarantee. I have God living on the inside of me. And now that's the spirit of holiness. And so God says, as I am holy, I want you to be holy. As God says, as I'm your God, I want you to be my people. As I'm exclusively available to you, I want you to be exclusively available to me. To be holy means to be exclusively his. I'm not looking around. I'm not looking for another. I'm not trying to figure out my own way. No, I'm looking at God and looking at his way. 
So how do we make our lives exclusively God's? If we are to be holy in all of our conduct, right? In everything that we say and in everything that we do, that means that there is an activity, there's an action that looks like holiness to God. And therefore, if we are to be holy, if we are to be exclusively his in all that we do, what does that look like? Like I said, tonight, I want to give you the 101. I want to give you the basics of what this looks like. First thing is this, is to develop a holy heart. Develop a holy heart. I want to show this to you in the scriptures, all right? So I want you to turn me to Psalms 101, okay? Now, you're going to remember this psalm because remember, this is holy 101, right? So we're going to turn to Psalms 101. Everybody making the connection there? Okay, so when you need to get back to this, where are you going to go? Psalms 101, right? Why? Because this is the basics. This is the, the 101 of holy living. Now, this psalm is written by King David. King David, the Bible, uh, you know, records a lot of his songs, a lot of his psalms. He was writing and all throughout his lifetime, whether he was having a good day, a bad day, Maybe he was out there on the hills of Judea, outside of Bethlehem, right, strumming his little harp or his lyre, there with the sheep, just singing songs to God, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Whether he was in a cave running for his life, right, God, why have you forsaken me? Wherever David was, even before he became king, he wrote these psalms, and I believe that this is one of those psalms that he wrote at a crucial time in his life. Many, many scholars believe that this was a time of David's life where he was actually getting ready to either be crowned king or that he wrote this for his son who was getting ready to be crowned a king. Did you know that when you gave your heart and life to Jesus, that the Bible records that you became a royal priesthood, a holy nation? Therefore, as royalty, the Bible says that by his blood, he's made us kings and priests unto our God. Do you know that as a king, there's a coronation and usually there's an oath that a king would swear. And so think about this Psalm 101 as something that we as the king priest, we as people who are holy, we are the holy nation. And on our coronation day, this is something that we would declare, something that we would say about our lives. This is how I'm going to live before God. This is how to live holy. Psalms 101 verse number one starts out and look at what it says in Psalm 101 verse number one, a Psalm of David. I will sing of mercy and justice to you, O oh Lord, I will sing praises. I love the way that that begins. I'll sing of mercy and justice. Notice he put mercy first because mercy triumphs over justice and judgment, right? So he says, I'll sing of these things. I'm going to sing of the mercy of the Lord that saved my soul. I'm going to sing of the justice of God that crushed sin on the cross. I'm going to sing of those things. Verse number two, I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Remember, Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And then he says, oh, when will you come to me? I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Everybody say perfect heart. I want, I want you to notice that two times in this verse, he's talked about perfection. I'll walk within my house with a perfect heart, right? And he says, I will behave wisely in a perfect way. Do you know God's looking for us to be perfect? Now, some of you guys are about ready to have an anxiety attack over that statement because you are a perfectionist. And you realize that perfection cannot be attained in this lifetime. And so now, here you are listening to the word of God that the Bible's saying that God is looking for us to be perfect and you're wigging out because you can't make that happen. Guess what? In the natural, you can't. Because our definition of perfect is even a little askew too. 
See, perfect doesn't just mean perfection as in morally perfect or as in, you know, like utopian perfection or whatever that may be. You know, that could be subjective to, uh, to some people. And yet, there is another definition of perfection, meaning complete. Completely outfitted, having everything that you need in order to bring you success. God wants you to be perfect as he is perfect. See, God has everything that he needs, right? He's all-sufficient. He's self-sufficient. He was before time ever was. People say, what, what was around before God? Who created God? God didn't need to be created. He was all-sufficient. He was already there. Now, I don't know how that works. I don't understand all that, okay? But I got enough faith to believe that God is bigger than my understanding and my thinking. Otherwise, it wouldn't be faith, right? Otherwise, I would be what I could see, and it would no longer be for me to believe, but it would be me seeing. But see, God is greater than the things that we can even understand. And God in his self-sufficiency, in his all-sufficiency, has everything he needs. And therefore, God could sustain himself throughout eternity, past, present, and future. But not only that, he could speak and planets exist. He could speak and spin the solar systems around one another. He could speak and light exists. He could speak and the, the, the formation of biology and all the things that we see on this earth are created. Wow, God is an amazing, all-sufficient God. And God can bend the rules of time and space and matter and all those things because he's God. He can do that. But see, God says, now I've given you my spirit. I've given you my word. You have everything that you need to live a holy life. You can be perfect. You can be complete. You can be fully furnished, totally equipped for the life that you're living. Isn't that good news? See, God hasn't left you for the perfectionist. God has not left you with a mess to clean up. God says, no, I've given you everything you need to live a holy life, a spotless life, a blameless life. He's able to do that. And so it says, I will behave wisely in a perfect way. That means that we're going to behave according to what the word of God has to say. That is the wisdom that God has left us, and that is the perfect way is God's way. And he says, I will walk within my house with a perfect heart. Now, when you got saved, did you know that God gave you a new heart? The Bible records in the book of Ezekiel, I'll take out the heart of stone and I'll put in the heart of flesh. Wow. See, it used to be out of the letter of the law. And for us perfectionists, it was all about looking right, acting right, doing right. But God says, no longer will it just be the letter of the law, that heart of stone, those Ten Commandments, that tablet of stone. He says, I'll remove that, and I'll put in a heart of flesh. Why? Because a heart of flesh is able to pump. It's able to beat. It's able to feel. And it's able to express the love that we have from the depths of who we are on the inside of us. And therefore, God says, I don't want you to have that heart of stone. I want you to have that heart of flesh. It's no longer out of the letter of the law, but now it's out of love that you will walk before God, that you will live your life out before an almighty God, before a holy God who now says, I want you to be holy. And so we have to develop that holy heart because God gave it to you at the moment of your conversion, at the moment of your salvation. He gave you a heart of flesh. And essentially, listen to this, we ought to live out of our salvation the life that is holy. Do you guys catch that? You're to live out of your salvation. See, salvation is like the launch pad. It's like the starting point that starts this wonderful, awesome, exclusive life before God. 
And it's from that point of salvation, when you say yes to Jesus, when you give him all of your heart and all of your life and you're saying no to all others, it's from that same heart, that same place that springs forth the holiness because God gives you a new heart. And your new heart, you stand before God holy, righteous, blameless before the Father. Now you are a new creation in Christ. You are robed with Jesus Christ. When God looks at you, he doesn't see the old sinner that you used to be. Now he sees Jesus all over you. He sees you as perfect. And that's where you're supposed to live from. Now are you going to mess up? Of course. But keep going. Are you going to fall from time to time? Absolutely. Repent. Stop doing it. Make the changes you need to make, and we'll talk about that tonight as well, to live out that holiness. But it starts right here in the heart. First thing is develop a holy heart, and that springs from your salvation. Second thing is this, is guard your holy heart. Not only develop the holy heart, but guard your holy heart. Heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 in the New Living Translation says, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Look at Psalm 101, verse number 3 and 4 now. Psalm 101, verse 3 and 4 says this. He says, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not cling to me. Verse 4, a perverse heart shall depart from me. I will not know Wickedness. Now, I want to contrast something for a second. Notice in the first two verses, he talked about the per perfect heart, right? And now he's talking about the perverse heart. See, the devil would love for nothing more than to take what's holy and what's true and what's good and just twist it. That's what perversity is. It is a twisting. It's a lie. It's a fabrication. It's something that is distorted that was good, but now it's been perverted. Now it's been changed. Now it's been twisted. Like our human sexuality is a good ex example of that, right? God created them male and female, and he created marriage between a man and a woman to be holy and pure. That's why he said, so shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined, become one with his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. That was holy. That was good. That was the way that God outlined for it. And yet, the perversion of that is that, well, you know what, but, but wait a second, it feels good, and, 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 you know, the biology works, and so therefore I'm going to do that, but it's not going to be within the context of biblical marriage. That is the perversion of that. That now all of a sudden, our desires, our lusts, are leading our conduct rather than the Word of God and holiness leading our conduct. Are you listening tonight? Pastor's talking about sex, nobody move, all right? But he says, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes in verse number three. See, the eyes are vitally important for what goes on in our heart. If we're looking at things that are wicked or perverse, it will cause us to fall away, or the old King James translation says this, to turn aside. Think about it this way. Wherever you look, you will go. You ever been riding a bike or roller skates or something like that, and you start looking a certain way, and all of a sudden, you're, you're headed that direction, right? It's no different with your desires. Whatever you're looking at is the direction you're going to go. You see this all throughout the Bible. Very first time you see this is with Eve. When she saw the fruit was good for food and to make one wise, she took of it and she ate. Why? Because she was looking at something. And it turned the course of her life and essentially the course of humanity from that point on. How about King David? He's up on the roof and he saw Bathsheba taking a bath, right? And he said, can somebody go tell me about her? I like what I see. Ended up committing adultery and murder and paying for it. Wow. How about Samson? 
Samson went to the camp of the Philistines and he saw a woman that pleased him well and he asked his parents to go get her for him. Wow. See, it's what we look at. It's the direction that our eyes are going. How about Ahab? The wicked king, even the wicked king Ahab, you can see this principle in his life. He goes to Damascus and he sees how they're worshiping other gods that are not the one true God and he likes their, he likes their big altar. And so what does he do? He draws a picture of it, sends it back to the priest and the priest looks at the picture and creates the similitude of that same altar so that when Ahab got back, it would be ready for him to follow the lust of his heart to look like the other nations and to worship their gods. And he says, I want all the king's sacrifices to be on this altar from now on. And he places it on the north side. Anytime you see north, he's talking about lifting it and exalting something above something else. He put it on the north side of the altar of God. He exalted his own wicked, perverse desires above the way and the will of God. And we all know how King Ahab died. I mean, the dogs were licking up his blood and his wife's blood and terrible, terrible people. But see, we have to be careful about what goes into our eye gates because that's gonna go down on the inside of our hearts and it's gonna affect us and it's gonna direct us. Matthew chapter six, turn there with me. Maybe when I keep a finger or a ribbon in Psalm 101, we'll be back there in a minute, but turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter number six. Jesus talked about this principle. Matthew chapter number six, and this is the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew chapter number six, I wanna take a look at two verses, verse 22 and verse 23. Jesus is speaking, he says this in verse number 22, Matthew chapter six, the lamp, is the, body, uh, the lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. Everybody say good. So he says, if your eye is good, if what you're looking at, you've got a good eye, your whole body will be full of light. Verse 23, but if your eye is bad, everybody say bad your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Now think about this for a second, okay? I get the picture of the eye being almost like a crystal or a window or something like that. And the light is passing through that eye, whatever you're looking at. Now obviously we know that in the natural, there's a retina and all that kind of stuff, but then he says the whole body will be full of light. Well, there's wall-to-wall -wall organs and blood and all that other stuff on the inside of there, right? So it's not like we're hollow and there's light shining in it on the inside of us. So he's not talking in natural terms, is he? He's not talking about the retina and he's not talking about the cornea and he's not talking about the lens and all that. He's not talking about that stuff. He's talking about whether or not what you're looking at, how you view things, if it's through the godly perspective of the word of the Lord, the wisdom of God, the perfect law of liberty, or whether you're looking at it through a perverse heart. And if your eye is bad, then he says, the light that is in you is darkness, and how great is that darkness? But for you and I, we need to look through the law of liberty. We need to look through a good eye, because God wants us to have light on the inside of us. It means we need to watch what we're watching. It means we need to listen to what we're listening to. Means we need to be careful about the opinions and the things that we allow into our lives. I remember one woman was talking to me and she said that she had to stop watching a, a very popular television show because she said, I didn't think that it was proper for me that if I wouldn't have people in my house talk with my children around that way, why would I watch a television show with people talking that way? I thought, that's wisdom. That is such wisdom. 
heard this story of a man that was at the store with his wife, and he was looking through some clothing there with his wife, and uh, a young woman in a very tight-fitting, revealing dress walked by, and so he looked up and followed her all the way until she walked out of the store, and then he went back to look at the clothes, and his wife, without looking up, said, I hope that was worth the trouble that you're in. See, we need to guard our eye gates. We need to watch out and be careful about the things because if you read on in the psalm, notice the passion that the psalmist expresses. He says, I hate the work of those who turn aside or fall away. I hate it. Why? Because it's going to take you in the wrong direction. And we are to hate that which is evil. Uh, Come on, guys. I think we need to stir ourselves I think we need to not be apathetic and lethargic when it comes to things that God calls evil. If God calls it wickedness, it should bug us. The Apostle Paul, when he was there in Athens, was looking around and there were gods that they were worshiping, lowercase g gods, you know what I mean? False gods. They were worshiping everything. Fertility, the sun, the moon, the stars, the sky. They had gods. You studied it in school. You thought, man, that mythology is really fun. I mean, it's pretty cool. They made movies about it. But these people thought this stuff was real. And they were bowing down and worshiping it, and they were ruining their lives. And Paul, sitting there looking at all these people worshiping everything other than the one true God, was bugged, the Bible says, in his spirit. He just could not get settled. He had no peace, and he had to do something about it. He eventually ends up preaching a sermon about the unknown God. He says, I declare him to you today. See, we ought to get stirred up. Things ought to bug us. We can't just be complacent Christians. Well, I guess I can't really say anything. I don't want to speak. They say we're too political in the society that we're in today. I, I don't, you know, I, I, I want to love people, and, you know, the, we should preach the gospel everywhere, and if necessary, use words. Listen, use words. It's necessary. How will they hear if, they have not, if there's no preacher, Right? Romans chapter 10, you've got to open your mouth and declare the gospel. Now, that doesn't mean be belligerent. That doesn't mean be bashing people with your Bible, trying to one-up people with your knowledge of the things of God. Listen, that's not going to work. Win them with love. Win them with the goodness of God. It's the kindness of God that leads men to repentance. Remember, the kindness of God is that he's staying his wrath. But there is wrath, and they need to be warned. People need to know. I'm getting off on a rabbit trail now. Let's get back to the word. But see, he says, I will not know wickedness. Now, I don't think that's just talking about knowing it up here in your understanding, even though the Bible says when it comes to the things which are evil, be innocent, be babes, be children in those understanding, right? My kids, when they see something that's nasty on the television, they all go, oh, I say, buddy, don't look at that. Why would I? That's his response every time. Why, did you see something? No, I'm not looking. Why would I? Right? I thank God for that because he doesn't realize, why would you? Well, you know, when you get older, you might like what you see. But see, he says, I will not know wickedness. The first time we see this is when the devil is deceiving Eve and he says, the day that you eat of that fruit, you will know good and evil. He says, I will not know wickedness. And in the fourth chapter of Genesis, verse number one, it says that Adam knew his wife. Same thing, intimacy, close connection. And it says, and she conceived and bore a son. See, I think God is speaking something to us that with wickedness, that we should be harmless. We should be babes, right? We should be like children, shunning that which is evil. We know because God told us it's bad, right? And I'm not gonna talk to no snake and get caught up in the wrong thing. And therefore, I'm going to shut. I'm not going to let that into my eye gate. I'm not going to let that in because that's darkness and only light can enter this way, right? So why would I? I'm not going to go after that. 
I'm going to be holy. I'm going to guard my holy heart. And therefore, I'm not going to go there. But see, when we know wickedness, if we play with it, if we look at it, if we lust after it, it conceives and brings about the wrong things in our life. James chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Verse 15, then when desire has, what's that word right there? You remember Adam knew his wife and conceived and bore a son? When desire has conceived, see, when you know it, something's going to happen. When you're intimate with it, it will conceive. It gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's full grown, brings forth death. Wow. See, we've got to guard our holy heart. Here's another way. This is holy living 101. Number three for us tonight is this, is surround yourself with other holy hearts. So it's easier to do life when other people are doing the same thing with you. I think there's a South African proverb that goes something like, many hands make light the work, right? You ever heard that? It makes sense, doesn't it? And when you're in community, when there is synergy going on, that means that you're feeding off of each other's energy. It's called synergy. And it's easier to do life when there are other like-minded people around you. It's hard when you're the only one. It's hard when you're swimming against the current by yourself. But if you surround yourself with other people who are living holy, other people who are living that perfect way, who are walking on that perfect way, who aren't turning to the right or to the left, that are looking at the right things and going in the right direction, it's easier to go in that direction. And so we need to surround ourselves with other holy hearts. I heard about a truck driving school where the instructor had a classroom full of new students and they had been teaching for a couple of sessions and so he'd given them some scenarios and different things like that. And one night he stepped up and he was talking to the class of truck drivers and so he said, I want to give you a scenario tonight. I want to find out what you would do. He says, you're driving in a truck. It's a, it's a two-man drive. You're going cross country. It's overnight. Uh, your, your, your co-driver, Ed, is asleep in the passenger seat there, and you're driving, and there's a whole lot of trucks in front of you, but they're going really slow up this hill. Your truck can go a lot faster, and so you decide you're going to cut out into the left hand, and you're on a two-lane highway. You're going to cut out on the left lane, and you're going to pass these other trucks that are going slow. You get about halfway up, and there's a truck in front, a truck next to you, a truck behind you, and the truck behind you comes out, and he's going to pass too because he thinks it's safe. So now you've got a truck on the side of you, a truck behind you, a truck up in front, and you see headlights coming at you. And he says, what do you do? Young man on the front row raises his hand really fast. He says, yes, what would you do? He says, I'd wake up Ed. <laughs> now the instructor kind of laughs. He says, why on earth would you wake up Ed? And without skipping a beat, the young man says, because Ed ain't never seen a wreck like this before. <laughs> See, I think the principle is this, is that we need to do life together. We need to do life with others that are like-minded. We need to do life. And even if, you know what, you're going to have a failure, have a wonderful failure with friends around you that are going to pick you back up and help you to dust yourself off and go in the right direction. You know what I mean? Like, if you can see something coming, call someone up like, hey, I'm struggling right now. Can you help me with this? Wake Ed up for crying out loud. You know what I mean? Like, Ed, man, I'm headed in the wrong direction. Help me right now. Involve somebody in your life. Get outside of yourself. Maybe that's a faith partner. Maybe that's your husband or wife, your spouse. If you haven't yet done Christianity with your spouse, but you're both sitting in the room together tonight, or maybe you're both Christians, but you're not sitting together in the room tonight, start to involve one another in your Christianity. 
That was one of the things that my wife and I did right from the very beginning is that we always prayed together. We always ended our time together. Every date we ended with prayer. Now that kept us in line because if we were messing around, we knew we were going to have to repent, right? And so we didn't mess around. We said, no, we're not going to do that. And thankfully God spared us from some things because we knew, hey, whoa, 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 I need to go take a cold shower right now because you know what? You just look too good, girl. And so we went and we would pray together and then we would go and we would leave and we'd come back together. And you know what? In our marriage, it's been a wonderful thing. That when we wake up in the morning, we do devotions with our children. When we go to bed at night, we pray together and we read the word, talk about the things that God is speaking to us. It's good to have a faithful partner. I love doing community with our staff and our pastors and the people in this church. They're people that every now and then, man, one guy texts me a scripture a day and a quote a day and all this kind of stuff. I'm like, would you stop sending me all this stuff? Like, I don't got time for all your stuff, but thank God for people like that in our lives, right? That are spurring us, that are encouraging us, that are connecting with us. It's good to do life together. Notice what it says in Psalm 101, verse number five through verse number seven. Psalm 101, verse number five comes along and says, whoever secretly slanders his neighbor, him I will destroy. The one who has a haughty look and a proud heart, him I will not endure. Notice he's narrowing the crowd that's around him. Sometimes it's hard to do because there's been people that have walked with you for a long time, but they're not walking with a perfect heart. They're walking with a proud heart or they're walking with a perverse heart. And they're going to steer you in the wrong direction. And so what does he say? He says, I'm cutting some people out of my life as difficult as that is. Verse number six, my eyes shall be on the faithful of the land. Notice once again the eyes. He says, I'm not going to look around at the people that aren't serving the Lord. My eyes will be on the faithful of the land that they may dwell with me. Notice he said, I'm going to walk within my house with a perfect heart and the faithful of the land, they're going to come and live with me. We're going to do life together. He who walks in a perfect way, everybody say a perfect way. Once again, I'm going to walk with a perfect heart. I'm going to walk in a perfect way. But the other people that are walking that same way, we're going to do this together. He shall serve me. He who works deceit shall not dwell within my house. He who tells lies shall not continue in my presence. See, one of the hardest things probably at times for new Christians to do is to cut off some of those old relationships that will drag you back into sin. Now, the Bible never says for us to not do life as we should because there's going to be situations that you're in that you're going to have to be with ungodly people. It's just the way that life is designed, right? You go to the grocery store, there's going to be sinners everywhere, right? The heathen are out shopping at Costco. You're going to have to go and bump elbows with them from time to time. Maybe you're on the job and you get assigned a project and it was, it's with somebody who's ungodly. They're not a Christian, right? You're going to have to do life with those people. Be nice, all right? Be a witness. Love them, okay? But they don't have to be your best friends and your confidants. You understand? There's a difference with what we're talking about. I'm not talking about not being friendly. I'm not talking about not being an acquaintance. I'm not talking about not being kind. All those things. Because the Apostle Paul said, if you had to get out from all those ungodly relationships, you'd have to just zap out of the world. Like, beat me up, Jesus. We're gone, right? But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about choosing your friends, those close associates, the people that you're going to do life with that you're going to walk the road with, those should be the people that are walking in the perfect way with the right hearts. It said that Augustine had the words engraved on his dining table, there's no place at this table for anyone who loves scandal. Oh my. Wow, he would not eat with people who are going to get involved in gossip, people who are going to be all up in the mix. He said, nope, there's no room at this table for that. 
This is a place where holy people are coming together. We're sharing in holy communion, holy living, holy life together. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. You know, if you're hanging with the crew and they want to go to the club, you know where you're going to eventually end up? The club. If they're going to the bar, you know where you're going to end up eventually if you keep hanging with them? the bar, right? If they're going out and doing things that they shouldn't be doing, you know what? You're going to end up going out and doing things that you shouldn't be doing. You can't hang around the mud hole without slipping in eventually. The Bible says those who walk with the wise will themselves become wise, but a companion of fools will come to ruin. I don't think any of us in this place are saying, man, I can't wait to wreck my life, right? No, but a person who walks with the wise will themselves become wise. I will behave wisely in a perfect way. And those that are walking in a perfect way, they're going to live. They're going to do life with me. Last one for us tonight is this, is don't wait to be holy. Sometimes we think, well, you know what? Let me, let me have some fun first. Let me just do my thing real quick, God. Let me do me. And then, then we'll get to this holiness thing. Let me, let me just live some life first. You know, I can't tell you how many people have sat in my office talking about their marriage falling apart because one of them didn't get to experience what they considered to be life. And they were breaking up with their spouse because they wanted to go to the bar, they wanted to go to the club, they wanted to hang out with their friends. They wanted to experience, once again, I'm gonna use the term life. That is not life. That is something else, I don't know, an escape from reality. And I'm not here to be harsh. I know for some of you guys in this room, that may bring up some, some hard feelings, some hard emotions. But my point is this, is that they're banking on the fact that they're going to be able to come out of that lifestyle eventually and be right with God. They're banking on the fact that delayed judgment to them could be denied judgment. But guys, if you stay out there long enough, you might be shipwrecked. You might be lost at sea. And there's no guarantees. Jesus could come back at any moment. And the Bible says, if you know that the elements are going to be consumed in fiery, what man of people ought you to be in holy living? Second Peter chapter 3. We need to not wait to be holy. Look at Psalm 101 verse 8. Early I will destroy all the wicked of the land that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. Now, again, this is not talking about running around thumping people with your Bible. He's not talking about cutting people in two or any of that kind of stuff. Sometimes people think the Old Testament is just talking about the Old Testament stuff and that God changed for the New Testament. No, what is he talking about? He's talking about, I'm not going to wait to cut off the wicked from the land. Those desires within myself that I may cut off all the evildoers from the city of the Lord. You know what? People that are going to heaven, people that are going to be living in the city of the Lord are going to be holy people. Because the book of Hebrews tells us without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And therefore, we need to live our lives holy, upright, blameless before God. How can we do that? We can do that from a heart that's developed to be holy as he is holy. We can do that as we guard our hearts and as we surround ourselves with others with holy hearts. But don't wait to be holy. Early. Everybody say Early. Oh, come on, say it once again. Say early. early. See, when God called Abraham to obedience, the Bible records that he got up early in the morning to go do something he didn't want to do. He didn't want to sacrifice his son Isaac. That was the son of promise. That was the one he waited for. That was the son of his beloved wife. And yet the Bible says when God spoke early in the morning, he got up. 
saddled his donkey, got his servants, got his son, and went out to do the will of the Lord. See, we can't wait. Can't wait. Don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till you've had some fun. Don't wait for another time. Man, get after it now. And listen, here's the other opposite end of that. Don't wait till you can clean yourself up. No, start living from that place of holiness now. Sometimes people think, well, I'll come to God later on when, I, when I'm a little bit better. No, 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 no. You give your heart and life to the Lord. God cleans you up from the inside out. Live from your salvation. From that point, remember, it's the springboard early. 2 Corinthians 7, 1 says, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all the filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Notice he says perfecting holiness. This is a walk that we're all living out. This is something that we're all growing in. We're all growing in godliness. We're all growing in holiness. Yes, holiness is a position. Holiness is something that God gives you exclusivity, him and you. But also holiness is our conduct. That's why we can be holy. It is an action. It's something that we do in our lives. How do we be holy? How do we live an exclusive life? Number one, you guys remember what it was? Develop the holy heart. Number two, guard that holy heart. Number three, surround yourself with other holy hearts. And finally, number four, don't wait to be holy. Did you guys get something from the word of the Lord tonight? Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.